you know, it's a it's a day to day struggle. So we have a saying in our family: tomorrow is a new day, right? So no matter how tough today was, tomorrow is a new day. That's Nairi, a parent of four. She's supporting her youth who struggle with mental health challenges, including anxiety and depression, as well as a substance use disorder. Having a mental illness and a substance use disorder at the same time is known as a concurrent disorder. In Nairi's case, her youth also have FASD. Other examples of concurrent disorders include depression and alcohol use or anxiety and opioid dependence. Having your child develop a concurrent disorder and supporting them through it can be overwhelming, scary, and at many points take an emotional and physical toll on parents and caregivers. But families play an important role in the many really hard moments along the journey. Welcome to another episode of Where You Are. I'm Bryn Asquith. And I'm Michelle Horn. Also joining us on today's show is Jennifer Toon. Jennifer is a registered psychiatric nurse at BC Children's Hospital who worked for years as part of the Provincial Youth Concurrent Disorders Program and is now with the COMPASS program. COMPASS is a team of health professionals who support community care providers in BC with the information, advice, and resources they need to treat children and youth with mental health and substance use concerns in their community. We recently spoke with Jennifer and Nairi about concurrent disorders. Let's listen to that conversation. So Jennifer, in concurrent disorders, can you tell us a little bit more about how the mental health and substance use pieces are connected? So for example, does one lead to the other or exacerbated or do they often occur at the same time? What I saw most in the Provincial Youth Concurrent Disorders Program is that there would be an underlying mental health issue. So it seemed like there is a mental health issue. The youth didn't feel good. They found substances and started using to self-medicate. So that's one way. Another way would be if someone just experimented with a substance such as crystal meth, and then they may have lasting effects from that substance, such as psychosis. So you, then now you have psychosis and maybe, you know, an addiction to crystal meth that way. You know, substances can often exacerbate or mimic mental health issues. So if maybe you already have the genetic potential to have a depression or an anxiety disorder, schizophrenia, etc. And using substances may bring that on sooner or may make it worse. Nairi, tell us about your family's experience with concurrent disorders. Well, my family is a an adoptive and biological family. So I have a, a son who's biological. And then we have three daughters who joined us through adoption, and all three have been diagnosed with FASD, which can be really a difficult brain injury to live with in the teenage years. It can definitely lead to uh, substance abuse issues and mental health issues, a lot of anxiety, some depression. So one of our daughters definitely got into substances at age 15 and was thankfully placed in a great program called Peak House for 10 weeks. Um, she still struggles and always will, but thankfully at this point, she's doing quite well. Um, now my youngest is starting into that phase. So, you know, it's a, it's a day-to-day struggle. So we have a saying in our family, tomorrow is a new day, right? So no matter how tough today was, tomorrow is a new day. 
I think that's a great kind of motto to, to live by and a, a nice way to frame it. Tomorrow is a new day. So Jennifer, how would a parent know if their child's behavior is normal teenage behavior? So, you know, youth being moody or experimenting with substances or is something more serious that they should be concerned about? Yeah, so what we always look for is that it becomes a disorder when it starts interfering with things you like to do or things you need to do. So parents may notice that, you know, maybe their youth has changed friends. Maybe they're not coming home. Behaviors may change. Maybe they were more of a of a youth that was listening and would do their homework and were getting good grades. And then now the grades are sliding. They're not really respecting the host rules anymore. And it starts interfering in relationships. Whenever it starts interfering with function, that's when we want to, you know, starting to screen, is this a mental health concern? Is this a substance use disorder? Because as we know, all mental health concerns as well as substance use are along a continuum. So from mild, moderate to severe. So some youth may have an anxiety disorder and may still be able to use a little bit of marijuana and it doesn't really affect their functioning. Whereas another person's brain may be a bit more vulnerable. And if they had an anxiety disorder, used a bit of marijuana, they may get really paranoid and then stop leaving the house. So it really depends on how it's affecting one's functioning. Typically, parents notice because they're such, they're experts on their children, different behavior changes. And even the youth may start looking different. Um, They might not want to play sports anymore. So there's just a lot of changes that can be observed that um, parents will pick up on. Nairi, how is supporting your child with a concurrent disorder impacted you as a parent and your family as a whole? Well, I would have to say that as a, as a parent, you can sometimes feel very out of control. And that, that can lead to a lot of intense frustration. You can feel very depressive and, and uh, disheartened by how little control you have in this situation. So finding the right professional to walk beside you in this journey is a great part of the support that parents need in it. Um, for, for the other kids in the family, if only one child is struggling, we, we often put them in counseling as well because we need to keep our healthy kids healthy. I do find that as a parent, it really does help to connect with other parents who are going through the same thing. Because, you know, although we have wonderful supportive friends, a strong supportive family, we've got great supports at the school and in the medical system. But really, unless you're living with this 24-7, you're not really going to get it, you know, how difficult and um, out of control you feel. So connecting with other parents is definitely a part of the support. And was that something you felt you were able to do right from the beginning? Or is that something that you found, you know, as you were walking this journey? Yeah, we've had a couple of great experiences with, with that. Um, we were put in touch with Reach Child and Youth Support when we when we initially got the diagnosis. And they had a parent support group for kids with um, who were struggling. And that was really quite helpful and opened my eyes to, okay, we're not solving problems, but it really helps to know you're not alone and you're not, the, you're not crazy and you're not a bad parent, right? 
I can imagine that um, from what you're describing, self-care must be a big piece of this as well. You know, kind of doing what you need to do to take care of you as a parent to show up your best in those moments every day. So have you found any good pieces of self-care that have helped you along the way? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think of it as we're like elastic bands, right? We're going to be stretched to the absolute limits of your coping capacity. And you have to consciously try and introduce some give to that elastic band or, you know, it's going to snap eventually. So you've got to build that into your day. I started when the kids were very young, I introduced this, you know, everyone is in their room having nap time when they were really young, including mom. Um, And then it was, you know, when they were older and they didn't want to nap. It was just quiet time. So they'd come home from school, have a snack. Everybody's in the room for quiet time. As the kids got older, they don't need the quiet time anymore, but I still do. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm going to make it through that part of the day, then I need to have 20 minutes in my room with the door closed and a cup of tea. You know, that's something that I build into my day because I know I need to introduce a little bit of give in my elastic band before we hit the evening. (laughs) Such a good strategy and such a good point. You're listening to Where You Are. I'm Bryn Asquith. You can find all the resources mentioned in today's episode at keltymentalhealth.ca slash podcast. Jennifer, um, Nairi spoke about a lot of her experiences in terms of feeling like this lack of control and frustration and being stretched the limits. Can you just speak to that, you know, having supported so many families over the year? Are there any other experiences that um, you've noticed with families that you'd like to share? Yeah, um, definitely. Self-care seems to be the number one strategy. And a lot of times, and this is even in my life too, it's like, well, how can I build it in? So Neri, hearing what you did with your family is an, sounds like an excellent strategy and keeping that going. When we talk about self-care, sometimes that word can just be so vague. So one of the acronyms I learned from one of the psychiatrists, Dr. Aaron Smith, that I worked closely with was NESS. N is for nutrition, E is for exercise, S is for sleep, T is for time to yourself doing something you enjoy. And the last S is getting support. And as a mother of two children with ADHD, I have also accessed support groups for parents of children with ADHD. And I found exactly that I wasn't alone. How we support our parents is to let them know that they are not alone. It's not their fault. So often parents blame themselves and sometimes the most supportive friend that may not be going through the same experience, they can say things that kind of add to the guilt and blame. I know, for example, I was told, well, maybe if you just put your son in soccer, Jennifer, that would help. But we know that these, you know, mental health concerns and substance use concerns have a genetic component to them. So it's not anyone's fault. This is how their brain was born. Just like, you know, someone was born with poor eyesight and needed glasses or someone was born with diabetes and needed insulin. 
and I can't change how my child's brain works. But what I can change is how I respond to their behaviors. So a lot of times teaching parents about co-regulation and, you know, when you do engage in self-care, that helps fill up your bucket of compassion or helps give more give to the elastic band analogy. I like that one as well. Often I will do mindfulness. And I know a lot of times people think, oh, mindfulness is something, you know, that you need hours for meditating. I don't have that kind of time. But what I do is I learned this this other acronym, STOP. And you could pretty much do this mindfulness exercise anywhere because the S stands for stop what you're doing. T is take a deep breath. I think they actually recommend three deep breaths. So take three deep breaths. O, observe what's going on in your body without judgment. And P is to proceed. So I try to implement that a couple of times throughout my day, whether it's at work or walking the dog. Another support that we would often recommend to parents are some websites that were really helpful from grief to action has is a website and it's for parents that have youth that are using substances and it has a coping kit for parents that they can download for free. Um, Addiction the Next Step is an online interactive resource for parents and it's really based around change and motivation to change. One of the clinical practices we are trained in is motivational interviewing and I find that so helpful in so many ways. Thanks for pointing out those fantastic resources. We'll definitely add them to our podcast episode page um, for listeners to find them there. Jen, can you talk a bit about the best way to treat concurrent disorders? So should they be treated at the same time or one before the other? We really need to treat both of the disorders at the same time. And so we're also recommending to the youth to use, you know, self-care counseling, accessing the different resources in their community that are often free, and then medication may be prescribed as well. And, you know, with our youth, we don't expect abstinence um, just because it is, a you know, it's natural for youth to want to experiment. But what we do like is when we take a harm reduction approach, and if the youth can, you know, work on decreasing their substance use as well as treating their mental health health concern, whether that's counseling and medication, that's the best, like treating both at the same time. And what we do do when we prescribe medication to youth that are using substances, we give them the drug cocktails website. What I really like to tell the youth is that I want to give you the information so you can make the informed decisions. And then by giving them the Drug Cocktails website, they can learn more about how the medication is going to interact with the substances they may use. And it's also substances including nicotine, caffeine. I know there's just so much stigma out there. And stigma really creates a barrier for people to get the help they need. So I'm all about accurate, factual information. Nairi, some parents who have connected with the Kelty Center have said, you know, at times they've had to make some really tough decisions that they weren't totally comfortable with in order to avoid something worse from happening to their youth in relation to their substance use. 
as a parent, is this something you can relate to and how did you handle it? Yeah, I can relate to that. It, it often feels like you are constantly having to accept bad to avoid worse. And as a parent, that is really uncomfortable. And it speaks to what I was talking about, feeling very out of control. And as Jennifer said, about feeling judged, because you're judging yourself, you're not able to keep your, your child safe and out of trouble and choosing healthy things, no matter how hard you try. So you have to use negotiation, you have to you have to live to fight another day and just manage the risk and not try and take a hard line because the hard line just doesn't work. Yeah, that's actually something else I wanted to mention is that when we are working with families, we really encourage positive relationships. I know I learned in one of the ADHD support groups that, you know, they said the world will punish your child. You don't need to. So, and we also know punishment doesn't teach skills. So if we're able to maintain a supportive relationship with our children, really our children just need one supportive adult to build real resiliency. Sometimes it is really hard and it's when you are living through this chronic stress, it's hard to see the positive. But if we can just even look for positive moments in our day, positive moments, you know, when our child smiles at us, when they do come home on time and, you know, just thank them for that. I remember learning from one of um, a youth addictions conference I went to, like, even if your child's not speaking with you, if you could just keep the foods in the house that they like and these little things to keep them connected to you, because that is what they need to survive their difficult journey. And Irene, I'm just going to circle back because you had made uh, a really good point around the harm reduction. And so can you provide us with an example about how you've approached that in your household with your daughter? For sure. I mean, we're, we're struggling right now with our youngest, who is 14 and, and just entering into a lot of really high-risk behaviors. So before I went on this parenting journey, I can't even imagine that I would do this. I work in cardiology, so it just about kills me. But I am providing her with a vape pen and supplies because I want to avoid some of the um, more risky behaviors that she's going into. And, you know, you feel like a terrible parent when you're doing this. This is not ideal for sure. But, you know, you, it's, it's about trying to get buy-in. It's about trying to listen to them and acknowledge what they're going through and their anxieties and what their strategies are for managing that and hearing it. And so coming to some kind of a, a, a halfway point that you can both agree upon. In the traditional model of parenting, you know what's right and you know what's healthy and you're going to make your child do that. And that just cannot apply in these situations. And as Jennifer says, you're constantly trying to find that point of positive connection and maintain that relationship, because the only way you're, she, she's going to get through the teenage years is if she has relationships. And so I'm working with the school to make sure that she's got a supportive, safe place there in the resource room that is going to never be judgmental or, or 
get angry with her, that's her safe place because she's not attending school regularly right now. She's, she's refusing school a lot. So she needs a place where she can go, where she knows she's going to be accepted, where she knows she has a relationship with someone that feels safe. It's the same at home. If she does a hundred bad things and one good thing, we have to see that good thing and recognize it just to maintain some sort of positive feedback to her that that helps maintain the relationship it can be hard because she's got three older siblings who are all mad at her and we're mad at her and it feels like the whole world is mad at her and then you get into the anxiety and depression right so you know it's 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 very difficult sometimes and it requires you to be really in command of your own emotions which you know some days go better than others but you have to find those positive points for sure Thanks so much, Nyreen. Just to follow up on that and finding those positive points and seeing the good, can you just talk a little bit more about your daughter's strengths and why you think it's so important for families who have youth with a concurrent disorder to celebrate strengths? Absolutely, because you, really you have to play to the strengths. If you're constantly on them about their challenges and their failures, then it's, you know, that's what leads to the increased anxiety and depression. And, and in her instance, it leads to self-harm and even suicide attempts. So, you know, we, we really have to manage our expectations of her. And we, we work very hard to reduce stress when we see her struggling because she is quite a capable kid. She's a very smart kid. Her, her IQ is normal to high normal. So it's not a problem of not being capable of doing the schoolwork. It's, it's managing the anxiety and um, the social issues around it. You know, math is her favorite subject. So we're constantly saying to her, yeah, this is so easy for you. Look, look how well it's going. You are really good at this. And you can just see her perk up, you know, you can physically see her posture change. She needs those moments where she sees a win and a success. Mm -hmm. and, and Jen, did you have anything to add to that? You know, every child that I saw, every child and youth I saw through the Provincial Youth Concurrent Disorders Program were creative. They all had an artistic talent and you know whether it was writing music or painting or being an excellent writer creative writer like they always had these creative strengths and I agree as soon as you you know give a compliment or focus you know kind of point out the positive you do see this like physical response and you know a smile and you know you can tell that they feel better. But if we can focus on their strengths and use their strengths in a way to um, help them manage all the difficulties that they're having in their life, then that's just going to, you know, increase their self-esteem and increase their resiliency. And what I learned um, from teaching dialectical behavior therapy is that the more we can focus on the positive strengths, even, you know, positive moments, the more we're building a shield against the negative life events. So it, it seems like a, it's a win-win. <laughs> Jennifer, you've definitely mentioned, you know, kind of focusing on strengths and uh, bringing forward those amazing parts, um, you know, of our kids during the days when they can be a bit challenging. Do you have other tips that you offer to families to keep relationships positive and healthy and respectful? 
Um, one of the parent groups called Circle of Security um, tells you as a parent that you need to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind. And I think the kindness is so important. I know um, I grew up where parents didn't really get like any kind of parenting tips. And criticizing your children just is not helpful. <laughs> or this idea, you know, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Not true at all. I worked with a lot of adults as well as, you know, teens that just had these negative self images and lack of self worth because of what parents were saying to them. And so I think that, you know, as parents, you know, we can, we can learn how to regulate our emotions and we can control what we say to our children. So if we can be kind, be calm and create a safe environment, like Bonnie Henry tells us to for COVID, this is very applicable for raising healthy children as well. Yep. I agree. You know, I would say don't wait until there's a crisis before you're seeking help. Medical professionals can walk with you through the journey and just be another person who understands and is cheering you on and is cheering the kid on. And you feel like you're supported, right? As a family. You both have offered so many fantastic uh, takeaways for listeners today. You know, everything from be kind, be calm, be safe, not during COVID-19, but all the time. And, you know, your honesty and your candor. We very much appreciate it both. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would offer to families walking a similar path? I would say I went to see uh, Dr. Gabor Mate speak, and I wasn't sure whether this was his saying or someone that he quoted, but he said, the opposite of addiction is connection. And that really hit home to me. I have to maintain connection with my kid through everything that they're going through, no matter how difficult it is for, for me personally, for our family, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean accepting an unhealthy environment. As I say, my, my elder girl had to go into um, a treatment program when she was 15, but that gave us enough of enough respite that we could then rebuild a relationship that was really struggling at that point by going to visit her on a regular basis. We'd go and take her out to walk. We'd bring the dog and we'd walk the dog all together. And we, But you do have to keep that relationship going if you want to help them through. Yeah, I agree. And the opposite of addiction is connection. Laughter is another thing that I found that is like a strength in our family. So a lot of times there's some wacky things going on, like and in the moment, it could be really trying, but, you know, la being able to laugh about it afterwards or even, you know, just looking at the humor and what's going on has really helped my family and I to continue on this path. And, you know, laughter is something that also calms down our nervous system. So even if you can't see the humor in the situation at the time, we could always, you know, you could always um, watch funny videos or funny, read funny memes, those kind of things, because we do know laughter is also a way to release some tension naturally too in our bodies. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both so much for being here. And this seems like a great place to end with this laughter and this connection. We really appreciate your time here today. Thank you both so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Bryn, for co-hosting this episode. And thanks to our listeners. 
This episode of Where You Are is brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre. We hope you'll make us a go-to resource to promote your family's mental health and wellness from where you are to where you want to be.